Um, so this week a friend of mine sent me uh, something from another pastor. And that pastor was talking about a spirit of offense. And uh, we forget sometimes we have a right to be offended because some really nasty stuff has went on, either happened against us, we've seen it happen to somebody else. But what we don't realize when we hold on to that offense, it carries a lot of other stuff. It opens the door up to um, bitterness, unforgiveness, rejection, um, self-hatred, anger, revenge, all kinds of stuff. And so uh, we want to walk in this year into not being easily offended because if you think about it, one of the things that the Lord brought up to me was that whole, you know, the Black Lives Matter, and I'm not getting into all that junk, but people don't understand. It's not for Black Lives Matter, okay? I'm all about everybody's life matters. And, uh, but here's what that offense does, no matter what situation it's in, when it comes in, then you have the right, it tells you that you have the right to take out revenge on situations because you've been hurt. And the more that you let it grab a hold and take a root down in you, you just constantly hold on, you're critical, you're critical of yourself, you're critical of others, you, it, it's just nasty, it's real nasty. And so that spirit of offense, the enemies came in the past couple of years and said, oh, keep that thing, that thing's good, that's gonna help you out, that's gonna help you to get whatever you want when you want it. And that's just such a lie because even the people that are looting and doing the bad things and you've got to give me what I want because I deserve it because of that spirit of offense, the sad thing is they get what they want and they're still not happy. That's what's so sad because they've truly not received Yeshua's love, forgiveness, and then forgiven that other person so that spirit of offense doesn't have a root to cause them any more pain anymore. So I'm going to say a prayer. Lonnie's got some proclamation she's going to do, and she might add on to what I just said. I just, we just let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. But today, just renounce any offense. Just don't give it a legal right in any part of you, in any little part, medium part, big part of yourself, whether it was 20 years ago that you're still holding on to it, or um, it's recently, okay? And, you know, here's the deal. Even when people hurt and abuse you, that doesn't mean you go back to the person that's done all that, okay? That's not what that means. You, just like Lonnie says, and like the word says, you let them off your hook so you don't carry around that poison, okay? That doesn't mean you go back and hang out with them and it's a good time, okay? That's, you still have that healthy boundary. You just forgive them. You give them over to the Lord and let go of that spirit of offense, okay? Because it just does none of us any good. Sometimes... That offense, that hurt, that rejection, that abuse, though, is a process, okay? So sometimes we have to give ourselves grace, too, when we're walking through it and walking in. As long as you're trying, that's all the Lord expects. So, Lord, um, we just say today that we are walking in this new year 
that we proclaim that we are walking out of a spirit of offense, that we will not be easily offended in these days and times. Lord, we will let go of hurts and pains from the past and things that will try to come against us. Lord, I ask that you give us wisdom and discernment when that spirit of offense tries to come in and take root in us. Lord, that we will not give it legal right. And so today, Lord, we we give you permission to show us where we, we've been offended and we've held on to it and it's caused us um, unforgiveness towards others, towards ourselves. Uh, it's rooted in uh, bitterness, revenge. And so today we renounce any spirit of offense in the name of Yeshua Jesus. We repent of being easily offended. Lord, we give you permission to go to those places, Father God, that we've held on to that and we thought it protected us. And it's not, it's not protected us, Lord. It's kept us from doing your will and your work here on this earth. And so today we renounce the spirit of offense. We say you have no more legal right to our minds, our spirits, our bodies, our souls, or any part of us because we're walking into a new and we ask that you give us new armor when that spirit of offense tries to come in and plant itself, that it'll just ping right off of our backs, our spirits, and our minds in the name of Jesus. Lord, I ask that you give us a download when it tries to come knocking on our door, Lord, that we say, nope, 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 we don't do that anymore. And Father God, I thank you for what you're doing and what you've already done, Lord. Help us to just keep climbing the ladder, Father God, till we would get closer and closer to you, to where you shed off all that hurt, pain, trauma, rejection, all that stuff so we can walk because you are getting your bride ready for your return. And so, Lord, help us to all just shed all that stuff, Lord, that is not from you and don't give the enemy legal right to be in any part of us anymore, Lord. We love you, Yeshua. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so that's so good. And, um, you know, we've been women's group, and just we know here that um, we're declaring and decreeing God's word because our, our words are powerful. God created the heavens and the earth, right? With this spoken word. Well, we're created in his image, right? So um, just saying that, um, I was just talking to a friend yesterday, and I talked to her about decreeing and declaring, and this is a person that's rooted and grounded in the word but's never heard. And when I started declaring and decreeing ever, she goes, the, she thought she was going to fall out in her chair. You know, she's in her chair. She wasn't feeling good. So I'm just saying there's an anointing. God wants us to decree and declare his word and to let it, let it loose. So we're going we're gonna to go ahead and decree Ephesians 1.17, okay? And um, this, is, this is really good because we need to start decreeing the things of God in our lives, like the offense. You know, I could camp out on my offenses. I could camp out on that. That word, Wendy sent out a word to some of us uh, from, was it Lestrange? Yeah. Lestrange. Um, just a little, uh, next Tuesday you'll see it <laughs> because it was so good. I put it in the, in the message because it's so powerful. We don't need to camp in the offenses, in the place where we've been offended. Birds of a feather flock together. Okay, we don't want to be those flocking crows. <laughs> I didn't mean to sound like that. 
Okay, so Father God, Father of glory, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, impart to me the riches of the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation, to know you through a deepening intimacy with you, through a deepening intimacy with you. Father God, let your spirit of wisdom and revelation and understanding illuminate the eyes of my spirit, my mind, my imagination, flooding me with your glorious light until I experience the full revelation. <laughs> the full revelation <laughs> of the hope of your calling for me, my destiny, my, the wealth of God's glorious inheritance that you find in me, your son or daughter, whichever you are. You're only one or the other, okay? I pray daily that I will continue to experience the immeasurable greatness of your mighty power made available to me through faith. Father God, cleanse me of any doubt and unbelief. Let's seriously ask him that. Father God, cleanse me of doubt and unbelief. Purify my heart. Make me have faith as a child. I receive that today. I feel the anointing right now. I'm thanking you that my life will be an advertisement. A testimony of the immense Holy Spirit power as you work through me. Whoa. <laughs> Not to woe. I declare, I, declare I, have power, I have the same mighty power, the Holy Spirit power of God, power that, was released, that was released when God raised, God raised Yeshua, Yeshua from, the dead, from the dead, exalted him exalted to the place of highest honor, place of highest and, honor supreme authority and supreme authority in the heavenly realm. Yeshua is exalted above every principality, every power, every might and dominion, <laughs> and every name is, is name that is in existence. Above every name. Okay. This is <laughs> Let me walk in your authority. Let's just say this. Today, I declare I will walk. Whoa, in your authority, because Yeshua is my Savior, who is gloriously enthroned over every name that has ever been praised. Not, not only in this age, but in every age to come. Wow, Father God, I declare that Yeshua alone is the leader and the source of everything needed in the church here at Harvest of the Silos. God, you put everything beneath the authority of Yeshua 
and have given him the highest rank above all others. <laughs> and now we, your church, your body on this earth, as we are filled by the power of you, Holy Spirit, whoa, <laughs> we declare we will walk in unity. We will love one another as you love us, and we will be about Father's business, doing great miracles, signs, healing, wonders in Yeshua's name. Woo! <laughs> So everything has been a little shorter this morning without the guitar, so I get to talk longer. <laughs> Peyton said, sorry, I'll get it fixed. <laughs> so I tried to tell you I was excited this morning. And I know I've overdone it when I get that look from my wife, but here's the deal. One day... About 10 years ago, I watched a man preach, and he was a guest preacher at a church. And at that church, everyone freely raised their hands during worship, but there was just a lot of this. You know, I mean, they weren't really dancing around. And I watched this preacher come in, guest preacher, and he jumped around, and he threw his arms, and I was like, wow. He didn't run around. He just, like, kind of ran around in his little spot like I do. And that was a motivation for me. Because he didn't care what anybody else thought in that moment. He only cared about that he was worshiping his God. And then I read stuff like Acts 2 where it says that the people thought they were drunk. So never, ever will I apologize for being fired up for the Lord. I just want you to know that. And I hope it's contagious. And if you think it's weird, okay. Get up and do it with me. Be weird with me. So... How many of you have heard of Mark Biltz? Mark Biltz is an incredible pastor and speaker, okay? <laughs> it, was, it has been said by a mentor of mine, Mr. Jeff Stath, your grandfather, that Mark Biltz is like a kid in a candy store. When he gets up to deliver a message, he's like a kid in a candy store, and, and all the candy's free, and he's the only one that knows, and he's going to tell the world about it. And that's how I feel today. There's something special that God has given us in a message in a book in Acts 12, and I'm fired up and excited about it today. And if you don't get fired up and excited about it, that's okay. I'm going to stay fired up and excited about it. The problem is when I get fired, and, and excited, fired up and excited, my voice gets very demonstrative. So I'm sorry if it feels like I'm yelling at you. All right. The last two weeks have been a little challenging, right? They've been a little challenging. Acts chapter 10, the Gentiles get Jesus. They get the Holy Spirit. We get Jesus. We get the Holy Spirit. And that's a huge day of celebration. But it brought up some realities and things that we had to discuss about this entitlement that we have as a church in America. Not necessarily us. I'm talking about the church mindset. Okay? This discussion that we deserve the salvation of Jesus without fully appreciating without fully honoring or doing anything with it. 
Then in chapter 11, we brought up this reality of kind of the opposite of that, that we're often critical when we don't know the full story. We're often critical to the individual before we understand. Remember, Peter was told by the Holy Spirit to do something out of the norm, out of the Jewish norm, and he got criticized before anybody said, why did you do it, Peter? And that's what we do. We get critical before we understand that maybe even the Holy Spirit led them to do that. So there's this huge moment for us as Gentiles. We get the gift of salvation. We get the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the moment that we get adopted into the family of God. Praise God. But it brings up some hard realities that we need to steer clear of. Okay? There's a reason I'm going backwards to go forward. See, earlier this year, as many of you know, a sort of tragic thing happened to me, to our family. But a wise man gave me a valuable piece of advice that I literally think about almost daily. He said, don't let the enemy pull you into a ditch on either side of the road. So he said, you're going down the middle of the road, and there's a ditch on each side. Anybody in here ever run their car off into a ditch? Why does that not surprise me? If anyone doesn't know, Jennifer got pulled over for going 88 and a 60 because she was praising and worshiping to yes and amen. <laughs> she prayed for him and she didn't get a ticket. Praise the Lord. Don't speak. How many of you have ever gone off the road a little bit, going towards the ditch, and to stay out of the ditch, you yank it back over, you overcorrect and end up in the other ditch, maybe facing the other way. That happened to anybody? McCall's not raising her hand, but I'm pretty sure it happened to her like a few weeks ago. <laughs> okay. All right, all right. So I had these two ditches. One ditch was guilt and shame, questioning, did I do the right thing? The other ditch was kind of pride and arrogance, right? And that's what he said. This man knew very little of what happened. God sends him here on a random time. Clifford in overalls. Some of you guys know Clifford. And Clifford shows up, says, the Lord told me to come here and tell you these things. Stay out of the ditch on both sides. And I took that very, very seriously. The point is, we're talking about two ditches when we talk about entitlement and when we talk about critical. See, we're going down this path, and we're trying to follow and be the Acts church. We're trying to follow the Word of God, and Satan wants to pull us into ditch one, which is entitlement. You ain't got to do nothing. Don't, don't do anything. It's free, right? But then we got this other ditch that's called being very critical. And sometimes we go to kind of swerve off into this ditch, and we realize it, and we overcorrect, and we end up in this ditch. And we have to make sure that we're staying in the middle of the road. The middle of the road is the Holy Spirit. For me, the middle of the road was realizing that God had protected us, protected our family, put people in the right place at the right time all day long. And we have to realize that as we come into church, we're here to worship God. We're here to do things for Him. We're here to learn so we can get out in public and do things for Him. Not stay in this ditch of I ain't got to do nothing. I came to church, I checked my box, I'm good. And we don't want to go over here to say, well, nobody else is doing it right. Why are you acting like this? So we got to stay out of the ditch. These chapters that we just went through, 10 and 11, should be celebratory, but they had some hard challenges. So we're going to dig into chapter 12 today, and we're going to get an easier, softest, softer message, right? 
Chapter 12 is going to be an easy. We've had two tough weeks. We're going to have an easy week. All right? So I don't know about your Bible, but in mine, if you look at the title, you know, they put little titles up above the, the sections. In mine, the title for this section, the beginning of chapter 12, is James is killed and Peter is imprisoned. Sorry, that softer message ain't going to happen just yet. But don't lose hope. Because as we dig into the chapter, some miraculous things happen. Peter gets out of prison in a way you wouldn't expect. And then the bad guy dies. Okay? So there's a promise in Acts chapter 12 for us. There's a reality in Acts chapter 12. There's a reality that we're never promised it was going to be easy. We're never, we may never understand why God does what he does or allows to happen. We will probably not understand his plan this side of heaven. I've said that many times. But there's hope in this chapter. This chapter starts off really, really rough. It starts off really bad for these followers. It starts off terrible, but it ends on some high notes. All right, so let's dig in. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. It says, about that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. We're going to talk a minute about who this king was, okay? So King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the Apostle James. This is John's brother. For those of you who watched The Chosen, this is Big James. Yeah, so I'm watching The Chosen last night going, oh, Big James, you're going to die, buddy. Oh, wait, all of you are, <laughs> except for you, John. <laughs> Oh, it's going to be lonely. All right, back to this. <laughs> King Herod Agrippa had the apostle James, this is John's brother, Big James, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. He says this took place during the Passover celebration. Then, and that's important because that means people would come back to Jerusalem. That means a lot of people would be there to see this happen. Then he imprisoned him, meaning Peter, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers. Anybody want to do that math? Thank you. Sixteen soldiers, okay? Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. Okay, so in the grand scheme of things, some good things are happening, right? The church is spreading the church has just opened up for a whole new set of people that weren't there before, the Gentiles. So what does the enemy do? The enemy ramps up his attack, and he uses a man to do it, King Herod Agrippa. Anybody ever heard of King Herod? Anybody like me and until yesterday didn't know the difference between like three different Herods? Let's be honest. There's five. There's five. So her point was she didn't know there was three. Me either. There's five. Okay? So I've put this together for you because it can be very confusing. Okay? And I know you can't read all of this. See, it all looks good on my computer until I bring it up on the screen. It's got these little bitty words, but I'll read them for you. Okay? So I want to make sure we understand which evil man this was because a lot of evil has come with a name that begins with King Herod. First of all, anybody remember Herod the Great? Herod the Great is the king of Israel when Jesus is born. And he feels threatened. Because remember, what were the Jews waiting for? 
the Messiah, but what was the Messiah going to be? A warrior king like David. They were expecting this warrior to show up like King David and start slaying the Romans. Okay? King Herod is the king. He ain't slaying no Romans. Jesus shows up and they say the Messiah has been born and he goes, "Uh oh, they're going to get rid of me because here's the real king. So he sends out an order for every boy under the age of two to be killed. Right? Everybody remember that story? It, and, and you know what? It caused some discomfort for Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. They had to go to Egypt. They had to flee. Okay? Then we got this man that comes on the scene named Herod. I don't know if I'm saying these right. Antipas, Antipas, whatever. This is actually the son of this Herod. Okay? Now, he does some evil stuff, too. He has John the baptizer beheaded. Okay? That's pretty bad. He also participates in Jesus' death. If you read about the death of Jesus in Luke, it says that he agreed. And he actually used this agreement to get buddy-buddy with Pilate. We're going to come back to that later. Now we got this third guy, King Herod Agrippa. This is the nephew of this man, the grandson of this man, okay? And he shows up and says, not to be outdone by a grandpappy and my uncle. First of all, let's talk about how he came into power. He came into power because he wanted to be the king, right? And he knew he was the heir to the throne, but he had to get uncle out of the way. So he goes to the Roman emperor, the new emperor, and says, hey, this guy's plotting against you, my uncle. So the emperor imprisons him. He's exiled. And now the you faithful king Herod Agrippa, you are now the king. These were evil men. Why am I pointing out that it's three instead of one? Because Satan is using multiple evil people to do his work. This man comes in and kills James and imprisons Peter. And everybody expected Peter was going to die when he gets imprisoned. Okay? This is important. Remember, the Romans ruled the area, but they allowed the Jews to have this king. So this king has power, but he's not ultimate in power, okay? I kind of got two points to make out of this. Number one, we talked about God will use common people. Remember, God used a common man to go help Saul become Paul. Anybody remember his name? Ananias. Ananias, you go do this. Ananias is like, oh, yeah, he's going to kill me. But God uses common people like you and us, and Satan uses extremely powerful people that hold titles and power and fame and have money. Okay? Satan was using these men, each one of these men, to do one thing. Three men, and he's using each of them to try to snuff out what Jesus has come to do, what God's plan is. Jesus has already died by the time this guy comes on the scene. But the church is growing, so Satan tries to take out Jesus with this Herod, takes out John the Baptist and Jesus. Oh, and God, by the way, jokes on Satan, this guy is a part of taking Jesus out, but it was all part of the plan to begin with. The joke's on Satan. He tried 
Satan tried to kill the purpose of Jesus before it even began when Jesus was a baby less than two years old. Didn't work. Satan comes along and tries to kill the purpose of John the baptizer, and he does kill John the baptizer, but did he keep John the baptizer from fulfilling his purpose? No. John the Baptist had a purpose prophesied. He's the second coming of Elijah. He will prepare the way in the wilderness for the Messiah. He did that, and then he's taken out. See, we don't always understand God's timing. We don't, we see these bad things happen, but my point of this is Satan is going to use men like this, powerful men, to try to stop the move of God, and he can't do it. Satan can't stop it. He cannot stop it. Agrippa comes along and says, I'm going to kill James. All I can tell you is that James's purpose must have been fulfilled. And I'm going to try to kill Peter. And God says, no, it's not that time yet. Okay, so we got it. Satan is using these powerful people to try to stop God's plan, but God's plan cannot and will not be stopped. And I want you to hear that loud and clear. Because you are all common people the last time I checked, and so am I. And we have a purpose. Each of us, each of you has a purpose. Each of us has a plan on our lives. And the enemy is working really hard to try to squash you out right now and make you feel like you're not effective, make you feel like you don't have a purpose. And Satan cannot stop what God has planned for each of you. See, Jesus didn't watch the chosen. It's not perfect. But it helps you walk you through it. Jesus didn't pick perfect men. He didn't pick any of Herod's children or descendants. He picked very imperfect people that would have to rely on him, and that's all of us. Congratulations. It's a good thing to be a commoner today. So Herod tries to kill Jesus. It makes things a little uncomfortable for Jesus' family. But he didn't stop the plan. Herod Antipas kills John the baptizer, didn't stop John's destiny. Antipas is part of Jesus' death. So he's the one, he's part of this with Pilate. Doesn't stop Jesus' destiny, actually helps fulfill Jesus' destiny. I love it. I'm going to say it again. Satan helped us win. Anybody ever been to a children's basketball game? Okay, so these children practice on half court, right? And they get the ball and they shoot. That's all they do. They fire it up. And every once in a while, then they go to full court in a game, and some of them don't understand full court. And every once in a while, you ever seen a kid get a rebound and put it right back up into the other team's goal? That's kind of what Satan did for us here. <laughs> like, <laughs> you got the rebound, Satan, but you put it right back into our goal. Thank you for helping fulfill the plan of Jesus' life to die for me. <laughs> Joke's on you, Satan. Now Agrippa shows up, kills James, imprisons Peter, but he doesn't stop their destinies. Now the question is, why would he kill James? This is the second point of this. The first point is Satan's going to use these powerful people to try to stop what God's purpose is, and it ain't going to work. The second thing is, why would he kill James? Why would he imprison Peter? Anybody know? It gives us a little heads up right there in a, in a few verses coming up. Popularity, acceptance. He did both for his acceptance and popularity with the majority. 
the majority at this point is still not accepting Jesus, right? He's trying to pacify the majority. So granddad feels threatened by Jesus and does something. Antipas feels threatened because if you know the story of John the Baptist, the reason he's mad at John the Baptist is because John the Baptist calls him out for sin in his life because John ain't scared of him. Now you got this guy that shows up, and he's wanting popularity. He's wanting acceptance from the majority. He doesn't have anything against James or Peter. He just wants to be welcomed by the crowd. And you got to understand, he's kind of like at least third on the totem pole of power. He's probably farther down than that. But first, you got the emperor of Rome. Rome is in control. So the reality is, under the emperor of Rome, you probably got like, I don't know, 30 people before you reach you know, anybody else in Israel. But you got all these leaders of Rome. I'm just going to count that as one. Then you got the religious leaders, the Pharisees. They have power. They got more power than the king of Israel. Then you got Herod. So he's at best third on the totem pole. And power-hungry people will do anything they can to get more power and acceptance. And that's where we find him. We've got this political leader just... Try to bring this to modern-day USA and see if this clicks with you. we got a political leader trying to gain popularity in all circumstances by impressing or pleasing somebody else. In this case, he's trying to please Rome. He's trying to please the religious leaders. And he's trying to please the people, the majority. It tells us he imprisoned Peter because he saw how much it pleased the Jewish people that James had been killed. So he kills James. Everybody's happy. So he goes and imprisons Peter. It's like he's fueled by this this evil energy. I did something. It got me some acceptance. Let's do more. So again, the enemy, Satan, he's trying to snuff out the spread of Jesus. He's using political forces of the time to do it, and he can't do it. He cannot do it. Fast forward 2,000 years later. We really haven't strayed that far from this game plan of Satan's. He's still trying to snuff out the move of Jesus. And I'm just going to go here and say he often uses political and religious leaders to do so. The United States of America does not want you to say Jesus. Your Congress doesn't, your Senate doesn't, your president doesn't, and I'm not going political parties here. They're all evil. I'm sure there's some good ones. I really believe that. There are some good people, but most of them are making decisions based on money and what they get out of it. You just saw you just saw us go through a little bit of a political battle. You just saw your new Congress go through a political battle. At all costs, I want to be the leader of this. And you got some people that stand up and disagree, and it puts a monkey wrench in everything. And again, I'm not going political. I'm talking about the people are wired when they get to that level to have power. And they will compromise to get that power. And again, not all of them. I'm just saying we see it lived out all the time. You're not supposed to say Jesus in our country. It's offensive. You're not supposed to say Jesus in Canada. It's offensive. You're not supposed to say Jesus in Great Britain. It's offensive. Does anybody know that a woman got arrested for praying in her mind a few weeks ago? She was arrested in public, and they said, are you praying? And she said, in my mind, and they handcuffed her. She didn't even say Jesus out loud. It was in Great Britain. I don't know where, like, she was on a street in front of an abortion clinic or something. Again, politically motivated. 
What about the most powerful religious man in the world? Oh, yeah, we're going here today. Most, religious pow- most powerful religious man in the world. Four letters. P-O-P-E, Pope. Okay? So eager to please that he's helping to create a new religion with people that hate Jesus. Actually, they don't hate Jesus because I don't know if you know this. In Islam, Jesus is a part of Islam. He's just a prophet. He's not the son of God. That's blasphemy as far as I can tell. And he's partnering with them to create a new religion called Chrislam so that we have more acceptance. Doesn't that sound like what was going on 2,000 years ago? Our leaders, political and religious, are not standing up and saying, this is God's will, it's in his word. They're saying, what do I do and what can I change? And I'll do anything for more power. But see, here's the beauty. I don't have to worry about my political leaders. I don't have to worry about my big religious leader that I don't follow called the Pope or half the pastors in America or wherever you want to go with this because God uses common people like you and me to bring people like Saul to Jesus so they can make a big impact. And we see that Satan uses powerful people, powerful religious leaders, powerful politicians to to go after his goal. The American dream says you're failed if you're just the common person. But the Bible says, no, you're the one God will use. So at face value, Satan's got this all-star A-team, right? And we got this team of nobodies. Maybe Jeff would call it the bad news bears. I think that's what he called us. But the bad news bears beat the (laughs) A-team. Thank you, Jeff. So, guys, you have a purpose on your life. I want you to say this out loud with me. I have a purpose on my life, and the enemy cannot stop it. In Yeshua's name, we each have a call on our life, and Satan can make your life miserable. But he can't take your calling away. You know, I've been prophesied over by three people in the last month that I'm supposed to go into the jails and take Jesus to broken men. Satan made my life very inconvenient for a few weeks, I would say a few hours, a few months. (laughs) Took me literally into that jail area. Satan tried to bring fear into our lives that we can't rest, that we can't sleep. When the sun goes down, we can't see what's going on. When the dogs bark, he's back, whatever. Satan's cost me money, extra security, but I rest well at night knowing Satan cannot stop what God has planned for my life. And when I die, my plan and my purpose were done. We don't know what all James had is a purpose for his life, but I can rest well, and I'm sure he is with Jesus right now saying, I did what I was supposed to do. Thank you for taking me, Jesus. Satan can make my life hell in that respect, but he can't take away my purpose if I'm obedient. See, if I'm in a ditch of entitlement, I'm not trying to fulfill my purpose. If I'm in the ditch of criticalness, I'm just telling everybody else how they're doing it all wrong. 
and probably not fulfilling my purpose. But if I can stay on that road, even though I may get swayed over to this ditch or over to this ditch or whatever, and trust God and follow the will of God and be obedient to God, He can't stop my purpose or your purpose. James 4, 7 says, so humble yourselves before God. See, there's a key part. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will what? Flee from you. Did you hear that? All you got to do is resist the devil, and he flees. Anybody in here ever fleed? Not had fleas. Have you ever fleed? Flee does not mean to walk off casually, okay? Flee means to run like you stole something. Sorry, I'm from Memphis. That's what we did. <laughs> James 4, 7 says, humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil. All you got to do is resist him. I resist you, Satan. You're not going to take my purpose away. I'm keeping my eyes on God. Flee. Because that's the authority that Jesus Christ has given each of us. But when we go, the devil's attacking me and the devil's wearing me out and he's just got me down right now, you ain't resisting him. You, there's, a, there's, a, there's a part here for you. You've got to resist him. You've got to tell him to stop. But when you tell him to stop, he has to flee. He doesn't get to hang around. Humble yourself, though. You've got to humble yourself before God so God can use you for his purpose. Resist the devil. He flees. He has no power. And when I die, because we're all going to die, right? Lazarus had to die. He died. He was raised. He had to die again. The little girl, she was raised. She had to die at some point, unless we get raptured. <laughs> We're all going to die. When I die, I'm going to die knowing that my destiny, my purpose was fulfilled if I remain humble to God. Because if I remain humble, I will allow him to use me. So, see, we have this choice as humans to make. We can humble ourselves before God, and he'll use you for his purpose. That's so simple. Uh, it's hard because we're prideful beings. But it's so simple. If we just humble ourselves, he'll use us. Or do not humble yourself, and you actually become a warrior for the other team. You're shooting into the wrong basket. It's our choice, though. That's the beauty of God. He didn't make us robots. He said, it's your choice. And I gave you instructions. It's simple. Humble yourself. We've got to be careful of our ditches of entitlement. Do nothing. Wonder why we're not being used by God. We've got to be careful of the other ditch. Critical. We're pointing out so many faults of others. We're not used by God. So we got James dying here. We don't know exactly why, but we know his purpose is accomplished. It doesn't really matter if he died of old age or if he died at the hands of a greedy, power-hungry king. He died when God knew he needed to die, when his purpose was fulfilled, Right? Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says, Do not be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. I hope you're getting the point. I'm trying to make the point that in this life, Satan's going to try to do everything he can to stop you and your purpose. And sometimes he wins just by making us feel inadequate, just by making us feel like we're useless and we don't even try. We don't even enter the game. And sometimes he wins by making your life feel like so much hell that you just give up. Again, this whole Jesus following thing was never promised to be easy. I'm sorry that we don't have these feel-good messages of come to the front, 
Receive Jesus. And tomorrow you get a new job. A better paycheck. And a new car. Because everything's going to be, you know, Ephesians 3.20, everything's going to be great for you, right? (laughs) But here's the deal. We are promised a great reward when we follow and when we persevere. Because I just read Matthew 10, what was that, 28? Back up six verses. Matthew 10, 22, and all the nations will hate you. That would include America, Canada, Great Britain, Iran, they hate us. <laughs> Syria hate, hates us. Uh, most of Israel hates us. <laughs> we love them. We <laughs> we're going to pray for them, but we ask for them to be blessed. But Jesus said, all nations will hate you because you're my followers. But everyone who endures to the end will be saved. Some translations say anyone who perseveres to the end will be saved. So the word endure there, persevere, means to remain. The Greek word means to remain. If you remain, but everyone who remains will be saved. The entitled church expects it all to be easy and comfortable and not hard, and the critical church complains when it is hard, and Jesus promised it's going to be hard. But you got to stay on the road, stay out of the ditches, and there's a reward. Now, we've only covered the first four verses of Acts chapter 12. There's more. I love what the Holy Spirit can do with four verses. Four simple verses and how much he can bring out of that. Verse 5, they prayed very earnestly for him. So as we process through this chapter, and I promise I spent most of the time on verses 1 through 4, we'll breeze through the rest. As we process through this chapter, we're going to see what praying earnestly looked like for them because sometimes I'm scared that we read this and we don't fully understand what they were doing when they prayed earnestly. The first thing I want you to just kind of soak on for a minute, though, is persecution for them brought and for us should bring a time of earnest prayer. They didn't start going trying to break Peter out of prison. They didn't form a militia to go after him. Good thing John's not here today. I mentioned the militia word. They prayed. They didn't enlist Simon the Zealot to go kill some Roman folks to get him out. Remember, you got that guy in there with the disciples who's having a life change. No, they didn't do that. It would have been easy for Jesus to say, hey, Simon, you're used to this. Go kill King Agrippa. (laughs) But he didn't do that. And remember, Peter's been here before. Has he been in prison before when he did nothing wrong? Anybody else remember the rest of Acts we've talked about? And he gets out miraculously back then. So what did the believers do? Does anybody remember back in Acts when he got arrested the first time? What, What did the believers do? They prayed. They prayed for courage. Now, they're praying again when Peter's arrested for political gain, for popularity. He had done nothing wrong. He's arrested. So, I'm going to paraphrase the next few verses, 6 through 11. It says, that night while sleeping, hang on to those two words, that night while sleeping, night and sleeping, the two words, Peter's asleep. He's fastened by chains between two soldiers. 
Any of y'all got uncomfortable beds at night? Any of y'all complaining about your mattresses? Yeah. We have so much torture and persecution in our lives. My mattress is lumpy. I need an egg crate. Peter is chained between two men that can kill him at any moment. And there's 14 more of them. Okay? And he's asleep between the two men. Now an angel of the Lord appears. Peter thinks it's in a dream. This is so vivid for him, he thinks it's a dream or a vision. Remember, two chapters ago, he's just had some pretty vivid visions. So he thinks, I'm getting another vision. The angel says, wake up, go get dressed, put on your sandals, now put on your coat, and let's go. Peter leaves the cell. They pass not one, but two guard posts. They come to the iron gate. The angel opens the gate. By my math, they have passed 16 soldiers. One man, Peter's now free. And the angel leaves him. And at this point, Peter goes, whoa, this is not a dream. This just really happened. I'm free. So I'm pretty sure he, you know, skedaddled. Now, verse 12, he goes to the home of Mary. Now, okay, we've got to discuss Mary. There's a lot of Marys in the Bible too, right? This is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is not Mary Magdalene, the disciple. This is not Mary and Martha Mary. This is actually Mary, the mother of Mark. So this is Mary. She has a son named Mark. Mark writes a gospel. Okay? Everybody in tune with that? We don't know that. Don't say that. They went, he went to Mary's house where many were gathered for prayer. Anybody remember this was in the middle of the night while asleep? Verse 13 through 16, he knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everybody, Peter's standing at the door. Can you imagine this? Peter's like, are you kidding me? You got me out of prison. Sixteen men we walked by. I'm fully clothed. I have no chains, and they won't open the freaking door for me? <laughs> and how do the people respond? They're praying earnestly, but their response is, you're out of your mind, servant girl. You're crazy. Must be his angel. Verse 16, meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. So he's persistent. <laughs> he's persevering. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had let him out of prison. A couple things here. Did you pick up on the fact that they are gathered awake and praying at a house in the middle of the night while Peter and the guards were sleeping? Praying earnestly meant something for them. How many of us, when we're praying earnestly for someone, get together a multitude of us at someone's house in the middle of the night and pray? Satan worshipers do it, but we don't. They gathered at someone's house in the middle of the night and prayed for their leader. If, if any of us ever done that, I haven't. I'm not trying to beat us up. I'm just saying this is a challenge. Maybe if one of us goes back to jail again, <laughs> or one of us is in the hospital, or one of us has a sick family member, maybe we need to take this prayer thing a little more seriously instead of just a group text that says, hey, pray, okay, I got everybody praying, that's powerful. But maybe we need to get together and pray earnestly to the point we don't even recognize when Peter shows up at the door, when God's going to blow away our expectations with the prayer. Middle of the night, 
How do I know it's the middle of the night? Because Peter was asleep with the guards, and they were asleep. And also, Peter tells them to quiet down. you got to remember, their houses are pretty close together. They don't have the, the space we have and the insulation we have and the noisemakers we have. And, and a commotion kind of draws a crowd, and a crowd draws people like King Herod Agrippa and his men to kill you. Okay? So Peter's like, quiet down. We don't want all this commotion. It's the middle of the night. So persecution for the early church didn't just bring prayer, it brought earnest prayer. Prayer in the middle of the night. Not when it's convenient, but when it was needed. And be- Sure. Yep. Yeah, so if you couldn't hear Sarah, she's saying... They thought the little servant girl was crazy. They're praying for the miracle, but then they're shocked when it happens. Right, we shouldn't be shocked. But if we are shocked, at least we're in the company of the first church, right? (laughs) No, that was good. That was good. So what does Herod do? He sends a search party out for Peter. Interrogates the guards and has them sentenced to death. That means they die. Why? Because his agenda to please everybody backfired on him. When God got involved, the agenda that Satan had backfired. But instead of seeing God in it, he just gets more evil. And I think this is an important point. See, some people are going to see the work of God. They're going to see a miracle, and they're going to say, I want to follow Yeshua. And some people are going to see the work of God, and it's going to make them mad, and they're going to do more evil things. That's hard for me to get my mind around. But it's clear. Some will be so power-hungry, so much in bed with the enemy, with Satan, they cannot see and accept God's work, even when it's a miracle. Herod had to see this is a miracle. So what do I do? I kill the men that didn't do their job. And send a search party out for Peter because I want him dead now. Now, Herod has the guards killed, goes to another area, gives a great speech, and the people start worshiping Herod. In verse 22, they say, this is the voice of a God, not a man. So what does God do? What does God do with a man who refuses to see his God's work? and allows people to praise him, a person, as a God. It's in verse 23, if you don't know. Instantly, instantly, an angel of the Lord struck Herod with a sickness because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving the glory to God, so he was consumed with with worms and died. Anybody ever have worms? Your dog ever had worms? Everybody's dogs have worms, right? You ever had a parasite come back from a mission trip and something's eating you from the inside out? I have. <laughs> Don't eat everything they give you. <laughs> Especially not the fruit, apparently. <laughs> I have to tell a quick story. I go to the Dominican Republic with Peyton. I get so sick I can barely, like, function, and we have to fly back. We're in customs, and this is what was the major thing going on, Peyton? Ebola. So Ebola is going around. Everybody's scared. If you so much as look pale, they think you got Ebola. We're in the Atlanta or Miami. I don't remember airport. About to go through customs, in the customs line. And I get this weird feeling of, I've been here before. 
a break a lady suitcase. <laughs> We've gotten disconnected from our group. I wake up to people standing over me and Peyton going, <laughs> I mean, he was like eight years old. This is like we got to pray against this trauma in his life, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, does he have any pre-existing medical conditions? I'm like, they're not going to let me back in the country. They're going to think I got Ebola. I passed out like 17 times that night, but I learned to know what it felt like. It, I got so like accustomed to what it felt like when I felt it coming on, I'd just go down to my knees and sit down. <laughs> so, what's my point? It says instantly the angel gave him sickness, but worms takes a little while to eat you from the inside out. This man was tortured for a long time. It doesn't say how long, but we see instantly, and I think my mind has read this a hundred times, thinking instantly he died. He didn't die instantly. He was given worms. Worms don't kill you quickly. So Herod is actually living out Scripture. He's just on the wrong side of it. The verse in Matthew where it said, Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's the side he's living out. So my point is God has this power, and this power can either free you or it can destroy you. And you know who gets to make that decision? Everyone raise their hands. You do. You do. You get to make that decision. Andrew's like, I'm not sure if I understood the question. <laughs> he was ready. <laughs> you get the decision of whether God's power is going to free you or destroy you. You make the decision. Peter only cared about spreading the gospel and building the church and, and honoring Jesus. The believers pray, and he is freed by the power of God. Herod only cares about his popularity and his power, and he dies from the inside out being eaten by worms. And these opposites still affect our society today. Some people that get sick and die with cancer and things like that are being eaten from the inside because they don't know how to release offense. And they don't know how to forgive. Or they're so power hungry, they've sold themselves off to do Satan's work. And sometimes there is punishment there. So you can preach about Jesus. You can make changes in your life to pursue him. You can persevere. And you get this ultimate freedom. Whether in this life or eternally or both, you get this ultimate freedom. Or you can seek the world, seek the riches, seek the fame, seek the popularity, seek being looked at as a God, and you die. This is what I was facing 10 years ago. Which one do you choose? We're, we're near the end. Yep, easier for a rich man to pass through the eye of a needle. Easier for a camel to <laughs> easier for a camel <laughs> pass through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. <laughs> rich man can't get through the eye of a needle either. <laughs> All right. Often I talk about finding middle ground, right? We have these extremes in our culture and in Jesus. And I talk about finding the middle ground, okay? But today I'm asking you to choose an extreme. This is one time we don't want middle ground. You either seek your destiny and your purpose, your calling from God at all costs, obedient, humble, or you give your life over to the enemy and you die. A death much worse than an earthly death. 
of being eaten by worms. See, Satan can't stop you in option one, but if you give in to option two, he's got you. Remember, Jesus said, don't be hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm. That's the middle ground. So he's pointing these extremes. He says, be hot. Pooper, get off the pot. Be hot. That's your option. And this chapter ends with, meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread, and there were many new believers. Do you see what's happened there? See, God's purpose through the church just continued. Despite some bad things happening, James, a good guy, dies. Peter gets imprisoned. Herod, the bad guy, dies. And the church continues to spread. Satan's work had no effect. God's purpose through the church continued, despite a bad start to the chapter. This chapter started off bad. But it ends pretty good. Herod gets what he deserves, and the church grows. So here's where I think it affects us. Some of us are in the middle of a chapter right now, right? And maybe that chapter didn't start out so good for you. Maybe that chapter started out, we got these chapters in our lives, and this chapter starts off on a bad note like this one did. When we started with James dies and Peter's in prison, no one could see that this was going to end up as a good chapter. No one could see that the word of God was going to spread and many new believers would come. So, guys, what I'm encouraging you to do for all of us, if we're in this bad chapter, this chapter that starts bad, maybe God has scripted a beautiful ending if you are humble and persevere this bad chapter or the bad start. That's, the, that's my story. That's the story. I was in a good chapter in life, and then I chose to go into a chapter that had some bad things. But then God restored that at the end. So if you hear nothing else, hear that God has a purpose for your life. He has a purpose. You have a destiny. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you are. I don't care if you're in a good chapter, a bad chapter, a good chapter that starts off rough, but you persevered. God has a purpose for your life. And if things are going good for you, this is, you're in a good chapter, praise God. Help the others that aren't. But if, you're, if things are really bad and you feel like you're in a bad chapter, praise God. Because maybe he's working in Acts 12 in your life. So I want a new term. I want you from this moment forward when I say this is an Acts 12 chapter in your life, I want you to know what that means. Yeah, I know it looks rough right, right now. I know some things are going on you can't possibly comprehend. But you keep persevering for an Acts 12 chapter that turns out that the word of God is spreading and the church is growing. Are you with me? I did too at first. <laughs> but see, the, here's the problem that's hard for us as humans. Even when things turn out the best, there's still this collateral damage. Peter's fine right now, but James is dead. So again, I didn't say living out Acts 12 was going to be easy. It had problems. A disciple's dead. But Satan did not accomplish his goal, squashing out the move of Jesus. <laughs> and 2,000 years later, he can't do it. He can't do it. He cannot do it. He can't, he didn't do it then, he can't do it now. Do you agree? All right, thank you. We're going to transition, smooth transition here. I haven't figured out how to land this plane and take off the new one yet into our giving portion. <laughs> this is still new for me and seriously uncomfortable. 
This is worse for me than it was for Peyton to sing acapella this morning, I promise. At least you don't have to do it every week, okay? So before we go into <laughs> before we go into our uh, prayer and our scripture on giving, and we pray for our food and we go eat, I want to remind you of how you can give. You can give cash in the back, in the box, the giving box back there by Peyton. You can write checks to follow him with us, our parent ministry, and put them in there. You can go to our website, followhimwithus.com slash give, or our app, follow him with us, or you can Venmo us at Butler Farm. Cheerful giver. So, once again, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I'm not going to repeat that. All right. I'm kid. Yeah. I'll be praying earnestly for y'all to get better jobs. <laughs> Sorry, Lord, that was selfish. <laughs> I, I, Lord knows my heart. Deuteronomy 10:14. This scripture is actually similar to last week's. And I'm stealing this from Lonnie, from her teaching. Okay, we're just continuing down that path. Her teaching convicted me. We're going to proclaim the word of God. Say it with me. Deuteronomy 10, 14. Look, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord your God. Very similar to last week's verse. It's his. It's his. It's his. It ain't yours. It ain't mine. Can't outgive him. Sometimes I don't understand the chapter I'm in, but I'm still going to give him back what's his. So, Father, I thank you for the opportunity to stand in front of these people and talk about Acts chapter 12. Father, thank you that things might start off kind of ugly and we don't understand, but your plan wins out. Your purpose, your church grows. From 2,000 years ago to today, I just wish we could see the number of the people that will be in heaven. Father, I hope you're showing Peter and James and all those guys what their perseverance has done and how many people are going to be in the kingdom because Peter was obedient and didn't give up when one of his best friends was killed, when he's been put in jail for nothing wrong. He persevered so we could be here today. So, Father, I thank you for that man, the heart you gave him, the perseverance you gave him. We're not going to put him on a pedestal. I just thank you for using a common fisherman like one of us to be bold for you. And I ask for that same boldness for each of us. Father, if anyone's in a bad chapter right now or it looks bad, help them to persevere and endure. To stay strong so that you can rewrite the end of that chapter. Help us to accept the things we don't understand and pray earnestly for change to get to this end goal. Show us our purpose, Lord. And, Father, I thank you for the gifts you've given us. We live in the most entitled, richest country on the earth. Even our poorest are still like in the top 10% of wealth in the world. But yet we're entitled because we think it's ours. So, Father, I repent. I am sorry when I think I've earned something or I think I deserve something. It's yours. You're just gracious enough to give it to me when I don't deserve it. So, Father, we give back to you what is yours. 
And I pray for blessings, health, physical, mental, emotional blessings, shalom, peace over the people who give in Yeshua's name. And we thank you for the food, and we bless you for the food that we're going to eat. Father, I thank you for everyone who stayed up late last night, got up early this morning, and made food for everyone. That is a sacrifice, and that is serving you, Father. So I ask for a reward for them, a blessing for them, as we bless you for the food. In Yeshua's name, amen.